alive to. Alive to. How would you complete a sentence where you were to say, I am alive to, to what? And you don't have to say it out loud, just, just think in your mind. How would you say it? I'm alive to, what, what would you think? Maybe I'm, I'm alive to, to the people around me. I'm alive to the world that I live in. Maybe you think of it in a kind of a relational or contextual setting like that. Maybe it's more in an action setting. Like, I'm alive to be a parent. I'm alive to be, um, to be a spouse, to be a, to, to be a worker. I'm alive to serve God. How, how would you fill that in? And, and part of the reason why I ask that is because the way we might fill that in gets us thinking along the lines of where we find these really significant things. All people need identity, purpose, and fulfillment. We all do. This is, this is core to being human, is that we need to have an identity. We, we might not use these words. We might, we might not say, yeah, this is my identity, but if I were to ask you, who are you, you have something in mind. You know, you, you might say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I am a, I'm a pastor, I am a construction worker, I am a retired accountant. I, you know, we, we have these things, that we have an identity. There's something core to us where we need to belong in something or belong to someone. It, it's fundamental to who we are. And we all, we, we need purpose. We, we, we need to get up in the day and say, okay, there's, there, there, there's something that I need to achieve today. There, there's something that I'm, I'm meant to do today. My, my, my life means something. I, need, I have purpose. And there's something I want to accomplish. We, we all have this, this need for a sense of fulfillment. And these things are so central to who we are that if you think about it, they really drive our lives. You know, who we belong to or what we belong to drives our lives. What our purpose is drives what we do every day. Where we find fulfillment drives where we spend our time and our energy and our focus. These things drive our lives. And a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to find these things which drive their lives. But the amazing thing about the gospel is that God gives us these things. He gives us identity. He gives us his purpose for us. And he gives us fulfillment. And that's what we get to dig into and explore today as we take this next step in our, in our sermon series journey. This sermon series where we talk about sanctification. And in the first part of this series, in these first few steps, we've been really clarifying what sanctification is. And I'm thankful we've been doing this because just I've been realizing, you know, sanctification is one of those words we use in church, but where else do you use the word sanctification? It can seem really distant from your life, which is kind of crazy because sanctification is your life. That's exactly what it's referring to, your life as a Christian. How do you live in the reality of what Jesus has done for you? That's what this series is about. And we've been really clarifying that, working on what it is. And, and, and last weekend, Pastor Krause taught, brought you here through the lesson, and I was down in Fort Atkinson. We, we talked about sanctification in the wide sense. Sanctification in the wide sense, meaning that it starts with justification and then flows and then also encompasses sanctification as a whole. So just that quick review. Justification is being declared right with God. Through faith in Jesus, we are declared right with God. And that is a complete process. 
There's nothing you or I have to do to be declared right with God. That is done. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. We simply receive it through faith. That is a done process, complete process. But then, being right with God gives you a new life. And that's the sanctification process. That's the ongoing process where you grow in the reality of who you are now in Christ. And sanctification in the wide sense really starts with justification, flows into sanctification. It really encompasses all of that. Today, with our lesson, we begin to focus in more specifically on sanctification in the narrow sense, looking specifically at this new life that we are growing in as Christians, that we are growing in now as a result of justification. Today, we're going to dig more into taking hold of what you are alive to. Our lesson today, it's Romans chapter 6, verse 22. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. These words are part of a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Rome. And this letter, it's a bit of a different setting than many of his letters, because typically Paul is writing to Christians that are at churches that maybe he started or he spent a significant amount of time at. He hasn't been in Rome. We actually don't know who started the church in Rome, which, by the way, side devotional nugget. Rome is like the center of the world in their day, right? It becomes the center of the Christian church. And we have no idea who started it. Little, little gospel nugget. History doesn't need to know your name for you to be a part of something significant as a part of God's plan. Side nugget. File that away for another day. Focus back now on the lesson today. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians, not because he, he knew them and was touching base with them, but really to prepare them. They hadn't had the opportunity to be taught directly by him. So this letter is packed full of teachings that Paul wants to give these people. Partly then, too, because he, he's looking at the possibility of using Rome as like a launching pad for a ministry in Spain. So he really wants to prepare them for that ministry and that opportunity. As he does so, as he shares all this teaching... He gives them instructions that really help them deal with a lot of the big topics and questions in their world that day. There were a lot of questions and topics, a lot of challenges in their world that day. A lot of questions about, okay, how now in the early church there are people who are Jewish in background, meaning that their ancestry is that Old Testament nation of Israel, the nation that was set apart to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. How now do Jews and Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, the word really just means the nations, how do they interact? How do they work together in, in, the, in the body of Christ, in the church? Because previously Jews were to separate themselves. Now we're all united. How does that work? There's a lot of questions about that. There's a lot of philosophies that are prominent in, in, in Paul's day, in the days of the early church, about life and living and how it's supposed to work. How do we deal with those things? There's questions about God's law. How do we view his law? How do we view the Old Testament laws that say that, that you're supposed to do all these things? Okay, if we're free from the Old Testament laws, then what, but what about like the moral laws that were around before the nation of Israel? What do we do with those? How do we think about God's law? Paul addresses the topic of suffering. Suffering as a Christian. How do you look at it? How do you see your life as a part of God's plans and what God's doing? How do you live in a world where there's rampant immorality? How do you live as a Christian in a messed up world? Paul's teachings address all this and more. It's packed full of a ton of really good stuff. For Christians who are living in a pretty complicated, messed up world, 
world not unlike ours. That's one of the things. You know, sometimes I hear people say, you know, our world today is such a mess and, and it's going in such a bad direction. And uh, when I hear that, I like to kind of take a step back and say, you know, the world has been a mess for a really long time. The world was a mess in Paul's day. It was a mess long before that, just like it's a mess today. I think sometimes the devil tries to discourage us and get us kind of down and like, like, oh, the world is so bad. Man, it's always been bad since sin came into this world. But you know what? You're still here. The gospel is still being preached, and Jesus is still working. And these words still make an eternity-changing difference to us as we hear them today. They speak to Christians living in a messed-up world, just like it was in Paul's day, just like it is today. So our lesson is in this context of giving encouragement to people living in this difficult, messed-up world. And our lesson begins... But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And we're going to stop right there before going on with the rest of the verse because I know that phrase that I've underlined, slaves to God, is an uncomfortable one. Like, really? Slaves to God? For us living in 2021, the concept of slavery is uncomfortable, and, and, and it should be. Because over the last few centuries... We have clear historical accounts of really terrible things happening with slavery. You know, when you think of the African slave trade and you study it, oh my goodness, it is awful, the things that took place. And even if you look at slavery in our world today, and slavery is in our world today, we tend to call it human trafficking. We don't call it slavery so much. But did you know that there has been a case of human trafficking in every county in the state of Wisconsin? Everyone. Up north, woods, you think, oh, no. Everyone. People estimate that there are more slaves in our world today than ever before. So it should make us uncomfortable when we think about all that stuff. And it might be like, okay, why does God, why does God use this, this, this term here? And some people might even say, well, see, God, he, he says slavery is, is, is good and fine. If somebody does that, be like, yo, hold up. <laughs> God might not just say straight out, Don't, you can't have slaves. But when you look at all the stuff that goes along with slavery often that we've seen in our world recently, God's word clearly calls it out. It calls out a lot of the issues that come with it. God's word, like the New Testament is the great equalizer. I mean, it says, like, whether you're a slave or you're a wealthy person, we're all alike under sin. We were all loved by God, chosen by God. We were all alike under sin. We all have the same Savior. It's the great equalizer that everybody is treasured, loved, set apart, set right with God through faith in Jesus I mean, it's, it's, it calls out so much of what has happened in slavery. So don't let anybody start talking you into, like, thinking that the Bible condones a bunch of stuff that happens in the world. It doesn't. But then we still might wonder, okay, but why, why, do they, why does God even use this, this term? Part of it is because the concept of slavery is different in different contexts. And in Paul's day, it came across differently. And it was well understood and you can partly see it by the way Paul begins a lot of his letters. He begins, say, Romans, by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The word servant there is actually the same word that's translated slave in our lesson. Now, we would probably, in our minds, differentiate the two. In, in Paul's day, those two term, concepts were pretty much pretty equal. That it was more of a, of a, of a level of employment, yes, not with complete freedom, but at the same time, it wasn't near what we typically think of when we think of slavery. It was a much more of a, 
a servant type of relationship. And if you're questioning, like, really, Pastor, are you, is, is, that, is that really true? I mean, look how Paul owns it. I mean, he just starts off his letters, Paul, a servant of Christ. You could translate it, a slave of Christ Jesus. He doesn't, in his context, it doesn't have that same difficulty that ours does. And actually, for the people there, they would have been very familiar with that. But it's not just that it doesn't have that same difficulty. This, this concept actually is very helpful for us as we think about our lesson, where we look at how or what we are alive to. See, in our lesson, we, we, we jumped talking to about how it says slaves to God, but notice it first says, but now that you have been set free. See, there's, there's a transition that has happened, and it's not that, okay, you were free, and now you become slaves to God. It's that you were, free, you were slaves to something else first, and now you've transitioned to now belonging to God. It's not like, oh, you're just free to do whatever you want, but now God wants you to be his servant. You want, he wants you to belong to him. You belong to something else first. And that's part of why we actually open up talking about identity, purpose, and fulfillment. It's because where you find these things drives and controls your life. And us being people, being, the, you know, if you think about it, we are created beings, right? So we are created by someone. So we, it's built into us, to who we are, that we are meant to belong to somebody. And we are created for a purpose, for something significant. It's, it's built into our DNA that we need purpose and fulfillment. And where we find these things, we belong to where we find these things. And these things drive our lives. And it's the pursuit of these things, if you think about it, people pursuing identity, people pursuing purpose, people pursuing fulfillment, what makes them feel like their lives are, are good and, and satisfactory. And, and have, These are the things, if you think about those things, it can help you make a lot of sense of what's going on in our world today, that people are all over the place trying to find identity, purpose, and fulfillment. Probably other things too, but just breaking it down using those three. And the reason why people are doing all these things and it's so messy is because underneath these things is a slavery then to sin. It might be really passive. You went from purpose, fulfillment, excuse me, identity, purpose, fulfillment to talking about sin. Aren't, are those really, well, let's look at what the word sin really means for a minute. You probably heard the word sin means to miss the mark, and, and, it, and it does. And often we think of that as like, kind of like getting something wrong on a test, like you, you, know, you, you got that question wrong or whatever. But here, here's, here's the question to consider with this term is to miss the mark of what? God's law, mm-hmm. but why does God have his law? He has his law because his law tells us how we were created to live, what purpose we were meant to serve, how we were, about, we were designed to go about life. When you miss the mark, with sin, you miss the mark of what you were meant to be. That's, really, that's what it comes down to. You, you break God's law and you miss the mark of what you were meant to be. You miss the mark of your identity. You miss the mark of your purpose. You miss the mark of your fulfillment that you were designed to have. You miss what you were meant to be. And that's why there's, there's so much just confusion and mess when people strive to find identity and purpose and fulfillment in the wrong places. Because we're trying to find these things 
in a way that will always miss the mark. If you try to find your identity somewhere else, it will miss the mark. You try to find your purpose somewhere else, it will miss the mark. It will not be what you're meant to be. You try to find your fulfillment somewhere else, it will miss the mark. And if it misses the mark, it ultimately is destructive and leads to death. That's, that's, why, it, that's why it's slavery to sin. That's what it leads to. Sin is missing the mark. Trying to find identity, purpose, and fulfillment somewhere else is missing the mark of what you're meant to. That's why it's a mess. That's why it's broken. That's why it leads to death. This verse here is describing a transition where now you no longer belong to something that misses the mark. We no longer belong to trying to find your purpose in a way that will never really be your purpose. No longer belonging to something that misses the mark of where you find fulfillment and will never satisfy. No longer belonging to something which ultimately leads to death. You have transitioned through faith in Christ to now belonging to the one who gives you your true identity. I'm now belonging to the one who created you for his purpose. Now belonging to the one who gives you real fulfillment. And if he's the one who gives you your real identity, your real purpose, your real fulfillment, he's the one who also gives you real life. What it's being described here is a transition from belonging to death and sin to belonging to righteousness and life. Paul's saying God has made it now. Because Jesus went to the cross and took all of your sin and mine, everything you and I have ever done wrong, all of our missing the mark, because he took that on himself and paid for it on a cross, because through faith in Christ and through baptism we are connected to what he did on the cross, that old way of being slaves to that which doesn't actually satisfy and doesn't actually hit the mark, that old way is done with you. You are no longer a slave to sin. Jesus rose again to give you a new life. A life where you are right with God. A life where you are no longer a slave to sin, but you now belong to someone else. A life where you are alive to. Alive to what? Well, first of all, alive to who? First of all, you, you are alive to God. And again, again, that phrase, slaves to God, can just kind of just feel uncomfortable, but See it in its greater context. In less than two chapters later, Paul will also say, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Paul talks, uses a picture of slavery here, but then he uses, talks about being children of God. Now, those things might seem contradictory, but in this chapter, Paul is talking about how your life and your behavior and your actions belong to God. That's why the servant slavery picture fits here. And if you think about how now your life belongs to God, if we think about how God created us and we belong to him, we can actually really begin to see our lives in a really beautiful light. Go back to Genesis when God created people. And what did, what did God say? He said, let us make man in our likeness, in our image, God created us to be our, why, why are we, we, we belong to him. He created us for the specific purpose of being his walking pictures in this world. We were created to be, he impressed his image on us, his goodness, his grace, his love, who he is onto people. 
and we belong to him to be his images in this world. That's amazing. And the way that his design for how this world is to function is that, that he says, he goes on to say, let them rule over. So basically, as we were to go throughout the world, we would be partners with God, and we would put his image on display into this world and then reflect the praises of his creation back to him. This is what you were created, this is what you were created for. This is your identity. You belong to God. You were created to be in his image, to be a walking picture of him. There's your identity. It seems pretty simple, but I mean, that's the core. We all do it in different ways. We reflect his image in different ways. But at its core, what is your identity? You are an image bearer. Through faith in Jesus, you are created in God's likeness to be a walking picture of him. That's who you are. You are alive to God to be in his image. But you also then have this benefit that you reap that leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. When it says the benefit you reap, it actually literally says the fruit you reap. So think of like a tree and then a tree produces fruit. So there's something that God has done with you and that something is the fact that he has declared you righteous with him. So that's justification. God has justified you and now the result of that, the fruit of being justified before God is that you now get to walk in a new life of holiness. Or it's like a couple weeks ago, we had the image of a gift, and part of receiving a gift is that you just get the gift, and you're like, oh, look at the gift I got. This is great. (coughs) But part of it is also taking the gift out and enjoying it, embracing it. That's the part we're talking about here. The fruit, the enjoyment of the gift. And the fruit, the enjoyment of the gift that you get is that you get to have a life of holiness. Holiness, again, is one of those words that um, um, is one of those church words that I think sometimes sounds lame to us. It may seem weird to say. Maybe you think of a place being really holy as like all really beautiful or wonderful or, you know, but when you think about your everyday life, like when you think of someone being a really holy person, it doesn't necessarily sound that great, but the word is, it's a beautiful picture. The Old Testament concept of holy was the idea of being set apart from that which was impure or even just every day, set apart for something special, set apart for service to God, set apart for something significant. In the New Testament, the word has the concept of being something that is worthy of awe. So that's why I've got this picture up here. I can't remember if I shared this a couple weeks ago when I was here or not. I know I've used it in in Fort Atkinson a couple times. But a few weeks ago, we were hiking at Devil's Lake State Park. Ruthie rocked those trails, by the way. She is a hiking machine. She was all over it. And uh, you get to the top of a nice view, and, you know, what happens when you get to the top of a big, beautiful view? It's just like this, don't you just love it, right? This, this sense of awe or, you know, whatever, whatever big view place you like to go to. Just, wow. The benefit you reap, the fruit you reap, leads to a life that is worthy of awe, a life that is truly awesome. This, this is the result. This is what you get to You get to live a life that isn't just, oh, there's, there's that holy person. Like a life that is truly awesome, worthy of awe. And it's worthy of awe because it is a life where you are now called to God's purpose. Again, you go, I'll go ahead to Romans chapter 8, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That part gets talked about a lot. People quote that a lot. It's a great verse. But the second half sometimes kind of gets overlooked. 
The second half says, who have been called according to his purpose. You have been called out of the darkness to serve the purpose of God. And there's this beautiful way to, it's not just that God has called you out and now he has a plan for your life, but your life is a part of God's plan. God's purpose for the world, you now are part of it. You now serve it. Your life is a part of God's plan and purpose. Talk about having purpose. You have God's purpose. Your life is set apart to be truly awesome, worthy of awe, because you are now called according to the purpose of God to fulfill what he has planned for you. And you also have fulfillment. The result is eternal life. Now, let's be careful the way we read this. It's not that you live your sanctified life and so then therefore you, you earn eternal life. The, the idea and the way it's really framed is that, that God is now, he's given you the, this life that is awesome and he's put you on the path which is leading towards eternal life. So think about like he set you on the road and you're going that direction. The word result, it literally means to the end or to the goal of. So what you're going towards, what your focus in life is, you're going towards eternal life. And if there's any question in your mind, if like, okay, God doesn't, it's not that I, I earned that with my, 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 my good life or whatever, the next verse reminds you, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Remember, it is completely a gift, your eternal life. He has placed it before you, and now your sanctified life is how you get to walk towards the gift before you. This is where your life is going. This is where your life is heading, eternity with God. Look again to, to, to chapter 8 of Romans, where Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons of God, that's you. The children of God, that's you. You are people whose future is resurrection. You are people that when Jesus returns and sets everything right, and this world is no longer the broken place that it is, but everything, he, he sets it all right. You are people who will be with him and part of that celebration, part of that party. You are part of the new world ahead. The life in the world to come, paradise with him. That, that, that's, that's where your life is going. That's the path you're on. And if that's where your life is going, if that's the path you're on, could anything fulfill you more than what you already have been given? I mean, we want to do things that last, right, that are significant. Your life is eternal. Your life is heading to resurrection. Your life doesn't end in death, but really gets started when you see Jesus in paradise. Your life is going forward. Your life that you've been given is the most fulfilling thing that anybody could ever have. And this is all what we have because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And through faith in him, that old slavery to sin is done. And he rose again to give us a new life. You are declared right with God. And the result is that now you can find your identity, purpose, and fulfillment right where they were meant to be. You can be alive to God, to purpose he's called you for, to the future, the fulfillment he's called you for. That's what sanctification in the narrow sense is. Living out what he's given you. Walking the path of knowing who you belong to, what he has called you for, and where your life is heading.
the path of proper identity, purpose, and fulfillment. This is what you are alive to.